We continue our study, nearing the completion of our study with Thomas Watson on the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. I think maybe two to three weeks we have left. I want to read for you something uh, I read a little while ago from, just to open up, just a little something different, from Our Ancient Foe. It's the book I've been quoting sometimes during the study by the uh, Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals and PNR Publishing. And uh, just something, I think, to whet our appetite in a different way. Uh, Roger, Roger Nicole, in his chapter called Conflict with Evil, and uh, I probably will be drawing more on this in another week or two for part of the study coming up. Uh, but this opening he has, I think, is just a good, good place to start for our study tonight. He writes this. It is important for us to note that it is not negative to recognize the gravity of evil. If you want to deal properly with sin, you have to recognize its gravity, assess its impact, and especially grasp the remedy that God has provided. We must always remember that God has never been satisfied with removing the penalty of sin and leaving us exposed to the predicament of sin in our lives. God is interested in overcoming not only the consequences of evil for us, but also the very presence and power of evil in us. So just another thing, it's not negative to talk about these things, it kind of feels that way, but it's actually positive because positive the goal is that we would that we'd grow in sanctification. With that, uh, and I have something a little different I'll use to close with if time permits, um, but we're going to pick it up now. We looked the last two weeks at the 13 means we can make use of not to sin, because again, we're focusing on the second part of the petition and deliver us from evil. But now uh, he wants us to look at the problem is, and maybe this is ultimately to motivate us not to sin, it's a worse thing when Christians sin. And it's a worse thing especially when Christian leaders sin, family, church, and I think we could pray to say state. So secondly, he says, beware of any action that is scandalous and unbecoming of the gospel. Any action. You know, there's the scripture that says don't even have the appearance of evil. And we looked at that in the last few weeks, I think. So beware of any action that is scandalous and unbecoming of the gospel. And I've noted a number of scriptures I'd like to look at with you if you want to have your Bibles ready. The, uh, the study tonight is kind of front-loaded with a lot of scriptures. And then I'm going to see if I can't get through this section tonight. I, I may need to divide it into two weeks. Um, looking at the fact that sins are worse for us. Oh, I need to grab my phone for the... We're going to look at the Westminster Larger Catechism tonight, too, and I, I kind of gotten used to just opening it on my phone. Let me grab that real fast here. I already put it away. We'll do that in a moment as well. Let's look, first of all, at 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. And again, we're just considering that for the Christian to sin, especially public sins, uh, is worse. It's even worse for a lot of reasons. And uh, we're going to look at that tonight in a number of aspects. But first, like I say, I want to go through a number of scriptures. And I actually made a note here to quote a DC talk. Quote, uh, DC talk is a Christian band I like to listen to a lot growing up. And um, 
Toby Mack, some of the boys like him, he's in the band. There's one of these songs where they have this quote, and you can tell it's a preacher from a sermon, and they just run it between two songs, and, and I wish I would have listened to write it down exactly, but there's something along the lines of this. There's no greater uh, thing that causes people not to want to consider the gospel in the world than when people see Christians profess a certain belief, but then go out and deny that belief by their lifestyle. And this is, I'm not even close to the quote, but that's the gist of it. I almost didn't quote it because I forgot to look it up. But the idea of it is, there's nothing worse for a witness to the world to keep people away from Christ and to keep them in their sin and sinning than when we Christians say what we believe and then we go out and deny it by our lifestyle. Paul talks about it in the sense of denying our profession by, by our life. Okay, so 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Think about impurity especially. Now, uh, this is a verse that's more positive in nature. Uh, but the goal is that no man would despise your youth, have bad things to say about you, but rather that you'd be an example for the believer. So that's kind of a positive way of looking at that. Rather than being a bad example and a detriment to believers, let alone the world, uh, we want to be a good example. And purity is listed there. Uh, look with me a little further on to First Peter 5, verse 3. And I, I think I was using my... Uh, my uh, tool on the computer that goes all around so it's it's not necessarily in order the way we're going so i apologize for the inconvenience of going back and forth we're going to go back to second timothy but first peter 5 verse 3 neither as being lords over god's heritage but being examples to the flock the elders are being addressed there specifically be examples to the flock um uh, we want them to be able to say we can follow their example rather than them saying what Jesus said of the Pharisees, do what they say, but don't do what they do, <laughs> right? And there's that phrase, people say tongue-in-cheek, but it should perish the thought that we would think to say to our children or others, do as I say, not as I do, right? We don't want that, that'd be horrible. Okay, so, um, and of course, it's a little later on in this chapter where we're told to watch out um, uh, for Satan, I believe. Okay, so uh, let's look now at 2 Timothy 2.15. So right now we're seeing the positive phrasings of uh, be an example for others to be able to follow that won't be a discouragement to them, but an encouragement in the faith and walking in the faith. 2 Timothy now verse 2. Sorry, I'm having a little bit of butterfingers with these pages. Okay. 2 Timothy 2 verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study to show thyself approved. Um, to be approved. The idea of being approved. To be clearly knowing the word and proper doctrine and living out that doctrine in proper practice. Let others approve, being, seeing what they're seeing. Now we turn to Philippians 3, verse 8. This should be more familiar to us. We were here a little while ago through the sermon series, Philippians 3, verse 8. 
Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. I think, they, I think I've think i written down the wrong thing here. Maybe it should be 18. Uh, it should be 18, yeah. Although, um, sorry about that. I've been doing that a lot lately, leaving out the first digit. And I'm like, where am I? What? <laughs> Sorry about that. Let's turn to 318. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. What makes them the enemies? Well, First of all, look at verse 17. Follow, Brethren, be followers together of me. Mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. So really, I want to put 17 there too. Because, of course, he's saying, follow his example, uh, following Christ's example. And then he says, follow Timothy. Follow Timothy's example. Follow the example of Epaphrodites, right? Uh, so, but then on the other hand, verse 18, what is it that makes them enemies of Christ in the text? I'm, I'm looking for the one word that's there. I'm not just looking what word would you highlight. What is it that makes them enemies with Christ? Their walk, yeah. So that implies, obviously, a walk that is sinning and in sin, which is violating God's word, right? That makes them enemies of the cross of Christ. It makes them enemies to the witness of the gospel. Okay, and uh, that's why uh, those who are pretending to be Christians walking like that, it's worse. It's worse sin, because we ought to be the example for others to be able to follow. Okay, look at me. At Ro- look with me. You can look at me, but uh, look, <laughs> look with me. You can tell me I have a lot of kids. Right, look at me. I'm talking to you. <laughs> Romans fourteen. Let's go to Romans fourteen together. <laughs> that pastor is so needy. Look at me. Look at me. Ay ay ay. Okay, Romans fourteen one to twenty three. One to twenty-three, Romans fourteen. Yeah, no, no, thank you. Yeah, Romans fourteen, one to twenty-three. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. Uh, just disputations, excuse me. For one believeth that he may eat all things; another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemed one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. And let that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth thanks, God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, I lost my place there, so 
11. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. That's Isaiah being referred to Christ. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block, and this is the main part, or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably? Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let none then, let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. I possibly could have... I possibly could have um, just selected a few of those verses, but I think the context is helpful. The chapter is really dealing with, um, you know, liberty uh, of conscience and, and freedom uh, to be able to do things that are adiaphora, that they're not sin of themselves. On the other hand, if we know that they would cause our brother to sin, we should be careful about what we do in front of others, right? Doesn't mean we shouldn't try to persuade them. <laughs> they are the weaker brother. But nonetheless, we don't want to weaken their faith by um, being insensitive to those kinds of things. So if we're supposed to be careful not to cause another weaker brother to stumble with our liberty, how much more does our, do our actual sins cause stumbling blocks? And remember what we've looked at often. Jesus says, you know, you who cause another to sin, better if you have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. We don't want to be the cause of others sinning or uh, doubting the faith or uh, giving up on Christ or living a lesser life because of our poor example. Okay. Let's look at a couple other verses. They won't be as long. First Thessalonians five twenty-two. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22. Uh, abstain from all appearance of evil. Abstain from all appearance of evil. We're not to be sinning. The, again, what is the prayer? Deliver us from evil. And we've looked at this verse recently. Lord, deliver us from even the appearance of evil. We shouldn't have, you know, be ye separate, saith the Lord. We want to be separate from anything that has the danger of giving the appearance that we're involved in evil, right? We've got to be very concerned about that. Uh, okay, Matthew 18, 7 and 8. Matthew 
Matthew 18, 7 and 8. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. This is what we actually thought of earlier. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. Actually, excuse me, it wasn't the millstone directly as I was thinking. But again, woe unto the world because of offenses. Uh, it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense come. Woe to the man that is bringing uh, others to sin and leading and causing them by their bad example. Um, look at Mark nine forty two. Mark nine forty two. Mark nine forty two. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. So yeah, there's the one we've talked about before. So beware, he says, of any action that is scandalous and unbecoming the gospel. He says, the sins of God's people do in some sense provoke him more than the sins of the wicked. When when Christians sin, it is more provoking to God than when non-Christians sin. Because we're in a relationship with him, it's different, right? Uh, There's a few things I'm thinking to say, but I'll hold off because he essentially touches on them later. But, you know, there are sins that are more heinous. There are some sins that are more heinous and worse than others. And this is where I want to go to the Westminster Larger Catechism with you for a moment. Westminster Larger Catechism number 151. What are those aggravations that make some sins more heinous than others? Now, I should say... Uh, question 150 says are all transgressions of the law of God equally heinous in themselves and in the sight of God the answer all transgressions of the law of God are not equally heinous but some some sins in themselves and by reason of several aggravations are more heinous in the sight of God uh, than others okay in the uh, state of others as well as our own okay whoops sorry I scrolled through too fast more uh, I am not good at using my smarty pants one Okay, I hold on, I'm going to scroll down. I got that last part a little off. More heinous in the sight of God than others. Okay, actually, that was correct. So now, that being said, the question is, are all sins the same? No, some are worse. And what is being addressed in our section tonight with Thomas Watson is uh, contained within the answer of 151. What are those aggravations that make some sins more heinous than others? Sins receive their aggravations, meaning making them worse, one, from the person's offending. That's really what we're looking at tonight. If they be of riper age, greater experience or grace, eminent for profession, gifts, place, office, guides to others, and whose example is likely to be followed by others, two, from the parties offended, if immediately against God, his attributes and worship, it goes on. I'd, I'd like to read the whole thing, but really it's the first part that I'm wanting to draw to your attention from the person's offending, especially if they're Christians, right? But then within that, are they mature Christians that ought to know better, should be doing better by now? This doesn't mean everybody at whatever age doesn't still struggle with sin, but uh, we ought to be maturing and growing. Uh, if they're offices, you know, obviously it's a bigger deal if officers of the church are uh, scandalously sinning. Um, 
So that's something, you know, I just want you to know, again, Larger Catechism 151 addresses this topic tonight. Some sins are more heinous based on the party committing them in their place and, and state. He says there are aggravations in the sins of his people. Again, there are greater sins in the sins of his people. And I think that's something we want to remember. We can tend to always like to, maybe I shouldn't say like, but I think we are predisposed to point the finger at the, the world outside the church. But we're not really to be judging them. We're to be looking at ourselves, judging ourselves, first of all. And judgment begins in the house of God. We can tend to take it easy on ourselves because it's easier to point at everybody else and what's wrong with them outside the church. But we have to keep looking at ourselves, and those sins can be worse when we do them. Um, So, number one, he's going to look at what are some things that are a greater aggravation. Number one, the godly have something which restrain them from sin. This is a reason it's the worst thing if a Christian sins. We have something to restrain us. When wicked men sin, they have no principle to restrain them. I would say the kingship of Christ, the mediator of kingship of Christ does touch on that. But it's not really the same, of course. They have wind and tide to carry them. They have nothing to pull them back from sin. But a child of God has a principle of grace to give check to sin. We have something in us to restrain us. We have God's grace in us. There's more ability to... He needs help to the bathroom, please. Okay. Um, we have grace in us to help restrain us. The world really doesn't have anything to restrain them. Not really. If they are restrained, it's not from within, really, right? So the first thing is, we have more of a capability to, to not give in to the sin, by God's grace. Number two, the reason when we sin, especially as he's talking about heinous, or excuse me, uh, scandalous sins, blasphemous, he, number two, the sins of God's people are greater than others because they sin against more mercy. God has given Christ to a believer. He has cut him off from the wild stock of nature and grafted him into the true olive. And for him to abuse all this mercy is to outdo the wicked and to sin with a higher aggravation because it is to sin against greater love. So many of these things are really going to relate to the relationship, the relationship we have with God in Christ. We sin against the grace that could restrain us in us, sin against the mercies toward us. Number three, what makes it worse when Christians sin? The sins of the godly have this aggravation in them that they sin against clearer illumination than the wicked. We, we see better. We recognize the sins more. We, you know, pray that we're having the scriptures preached and taught to us and we read them and the spirit helps us understand and know we are more aware of what is wrong you know a lot of times one of the challenges discipling new believers is they don't know a lot of these things are wrong they haven't ever really been told it isn't that the work of the law is not on their hearts but uh, we know better you know isn't that something we say to our kids sometimes you know better <laughs> and that's why it's a bigger deal. You know you shouldn't be doing this. The others, they shouldn't be doing it, but they don't have the same understanding. Okay. Um, number four, what makes our sins worse as Christians, the sins of the godly are worse than the unregenerate, for when they sin, it is against great experiences. Venture upon a presumptuous sin enhances and aggravates their guilt. We have experienced greater things, 
the presence of the Holy Spirit, the means of grace, you know, uh, prayer, the word, hearing it preached, fellowship with Christians. We have greater experience. The unregenerate don't have any of that. And so our own experience should witness to us to say no and not do something. Uh, we have the experience of making progress in sanctification that we should be drawing on. He says, the wicked have never tasted the sweetness of a heavenly life. They have never known what it is to have smiles from God. They have never tasted anything sweeter than corn and wine. Therefore, no wonder if they sin. But for a child of God who has had such love tokens from heaven and signal experiences from God, for him to gratify a lust? How horrid is this? It was an aggravation of Solomon's sin that his heart was turned from the Lord who had appeared to him twice. 1 Kings 11.9 Twice the Lord had come and witnessed to him in a special way and he still chooses to sin against it. Um, we know better. We have better experiences that should be a reference point to draw on. Number five. The sins of the godly are greater than others because they sin against their sonship. And I think that's a really important one to highlight. Their sonship. When wicked men sin, they sin against the command But when the godly sin, they sin against a privilege. They abuse their sonship. And as we've often pointed out, what do we say to our children? Well, well, so-and-so is doing this. So-and-so gets to do this. They're not my child. You're my child. I'm responsible for you. And you're responsible to me in that relationship, right? We're God's children. He's our father. Is it a light thing, said David, to be son-in-law to a king? So to be called the sons of God, to be heirs of the promises, is no small honor. We are the sons of God. That's got a special nobility, right? We're the, the priests of God, the kings of his holy nation. And so we should be concerned. Our robes that are washed in the blood of the lamb, we shouldn't be getting the filth of the world on them. And our Father's name, what is the beginning of the Lord's Prayer? Hallowed be thy name. We want to hallow his name, not drag his name down in the mud. He's our Father. Right? Number six. The sins of the godly are worse than others because they are committed against more vows and engagements. We're in formal covenant, right? We are in formal covenant in the membership of the church. God covenants to us, but we are in formal covenant to him. We've been seeing this through the whole book of Deuteronomy, right? A renewal of the covenant um, isn't broken with God, but they need to be more faithful. Uh, But remember at Mount Sinai that they're constantly being pointed to. They formally vowed, we will be your people. You will be our God. We will do all that you say. And that's what we have said in our membership vows. We've committed ourselves to God and his people. So when we are sinning, we are violating our membership vows. Uh, Psalm 116 verses 12 to 14 talks about, I will take the cup of salvation, I will drink, I will renew my vows in the great congregation. It talks about that several times. Uh, Psalm 119, 106, he quotes, I have sworn that I will keep thy righteous judgments. You know, when we went through the last part of the first commandment preached by Moses in Deuteronomy this last Lord's Day, several times it is said that God swore God swore himself, and he does not violate his own promises. Of course, Hebrews brings up, he swore by himself, right? Um, 
In the supper of the Lord, they have renewed this sacred vow. That's why I bring up Psalm 116, 12 to 14. In the supper of the Lord. So when we take the Lord's supper, we are always renewing our vow to him. We've sworn, we've taken a formal vow. And we don't want to make a breach of that vow, he says. Number seven, the sins of the godly are worse than others because they bring a greater reproach upon religion. And again, that's the idea of, again, it brings a bad reputation on Christianity itself. You know, what do people love to say about Christianity? It's a bunch of churches full of a bunch of hypocrites, right? And, you know, the counter is that there's always room for one more. <laughs> Everybody's a hypocrite, you know. Uh, we don't want to make light of it, though. And uh, Nathan says to David, even though he's been told that he's forgiven of his sins with Bathsheba and against Uriah, even though that is said, he does say in 2 Samuel twelve fourteen, By this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. And uh, his son dies as one of the consequences, right? By your sin as a king in front of everyone, the nations are laughing at us. Hey, Psalm 2 says they will laugh at God's anointed, but we ought not to be the occasion for it, right? They're mocking Jesus because we are essentially giving them an occasion to, right? Um, number eight, the sins of the godly are worse because they encourage and harden wicked men in sin, the sins of Christians just give non-Christians an excuse to keep sinning. Why would I bother going to church? They just sin the same. I might as well really get into it, right? You know, I might as well really live it up. He says, you therefore, above all others, beware of presumptuous sin. And again, that's the idea of just presuming upon the Lord. Ah, I can get away with this. You'll forgive me. You know, I can do what I want. Uh, your sins would wound conscience. Your sins wound conscience, weaken grace, and do more highly provoke God than the sins of others. And God will be sure to punish you. See, that's the thing. We think that we can get away with it also. Especially, you know, outward sin. But how many times do we see the sad report of another pastor or church leader or something being, being called out and shown and the sins catch up? Uh, sadly, it can be decades later with these serious, grievous, blasphemous, heinous sins. And uh, this is something the church doesn't want to say. Oh, you know, God loves us and he's just gracious to us. He, he will punish us in this life. Even if it isn't e eternal death, he'll deal with us, right? Uh, Amos 3, verse 2, he quotes, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. You know, what is he saying in Deuteronomy right now, we've been looking at? I am the God of gods, the Lord of lords. I own everything in the heavens of heavens. And yet I've chosen you specially to be my people and not for anything about you. I've chosen to love you and choose you to be mine. Right? And so therefore, he's going to have a higher consequence when we dismiss that and presume against it and live against it. Uh, because it's a horrible witness. Right. Remember, what is even Moses, one of his prayers that God would not get rid of the people recently? Again, we were reminded, uh, Lord, for your own reputation that the Egyptians and others don't say, oh, you only meant evil for them or you were not really able to deliver them. Right. So for his own reputation, you know, because what what reputation do parents get who don't discipline their children? Let them run wild. Not a good one. Right. Not a good one. Uh, what does the, the scripture uh, that 
Elder Maxwell prays a lot. I, I love two things come to mind every time I hear them. I, I, I can hear him praying them. Um, uh, judgment begins at the house of the Lord. That's New Testament, by the way. Judgment begins at the house of the Lord. Um, also, 1 Corinthians 11, we have to examine ourselves before we come take the Lord's Supper. So I want to ask you to turn with me to Westminster Shorter Catechism. Shorter Catechism number 56. 56. This is another just a thing to consider that people think that they're going to get away with it. And a lot of times what you're seeing in the scriptures is people in the church and leaders of the church think they're going to get away with it. Obviously David, right? Uh, but notice, uh, we looked at this a little while ago when we were in this section uh, of the Shorter Catechism in our evening Sabbath studies. So it should be fairly familiar. What is the reason annexed to the third commandment? The third commandment being not to take God's name in vain, right? The reason annexed to the third commandment is that however the breakers of this commandment may escape punishment from men, yet the Lord our God will not suffer them to escape his righteous judgment. And of course, what is forbidden in the third commandment? Again, profaning, abusing, anything whereby God maketh himself known. That's number 55. So, however much people think they escape or do escape punishment for men, the Lord will not suffer them to escape his righteous judgment. Now, 1 Samuel 3.13 is given to us, and uh, I would like to read that. Uh, When we looked at this on the Lord's Day evening, I had us look at a lot of its context. It was pretty powerful. I think we were all pretty sober just by the remembrance of it. I'm not going to do that tonight for sake of time, but I'll, uh, I do want to remind you there's a, there's a significant context. But we're going to go to 1 Samuel 3, verse 13. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. Am I in the right place? That doesn't look right to me. Oh, I'm in chapter 13. Sorry. It wouldn't be a Wednesday night study if I didn't go to the completely wrong place. Sorry about that. It's just I never recognize it until I'm reading. like, wait a minute. (laughs) 1 Samuel chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 13. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile. And he restrained them not. This is speaking to Eli through Samuel, right? Eli's grown sons were living sinful as priests. In, in, in front of everybody at the door of the temple doing, you know, fornication. And he's going to kill their sons. And they do die. And then, and then Eli dies hearing about it falling over dead. And because you didn't restrain them. You didn't do anything about it. You obviously knew about it. And it's one thing to kind of appeal to them, as it seems he did, but it's another thing to make it not, to make it stop, right? Not be a respecter of persons, even our own sons. And so God says, again, that's, that's the scripture given by our catechism, that you can't take God's name in vain. And taking his name in vain, especially being in a leadership role of not dealing with something, Especially those elsewhere in leadership. And, uh, but God will deal with it. You didn't deal with it. But by the way, beloved, that's what we see a lot. And in Revelation, Jesus challenges the church, one of the churches in Revelation. If you don't start doing better with church discipline, he says, I'll kill your children. Wow. It's harsh. 
But it's going to come back on us. If you, the, here's the thing to always remember. If we don't deal with it, God will deal with it, and it'll be worse. Partly because it becomes worse by the time God deals with it. He's slow and angry. He's patient. But there's a time where he won't hold back anymore. And so this is the thing we need to recognize. This is the section he's saying now. If, if you think it isn't a big deal to sin blasphemously as Christians, and you're not concerned about the witness, it's going to come back on you. It's going to come back on the church. God doesn't let his own people and his own church go without being disciplined severely as necessary. Read most of the Old Testament, right? But even ask uh, Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5. You're going to lie in church before the Holy Ghost? It was yours to keep. You didn't have to lie. We're setting the foundation of the church here. You know what you're doing. The Holy Ghost is not going to take you out, Sapphira, just like you did your husband earlier. You know, don't think that you can get away with these things and it's not going to come up to catch us. Be, he's going to tell us some things to do about it, you know. Um, uh, but we need to really recognize that. Number, uh, so number one, next, he says, whoops, sorry, I'm in the wrong section here. Okay, he says this. Though God does not blot you out of his book, yet he may cast you out of his presence. Psalm 51.11, he lists. He may keep you in long desertion. You may feel such lashes in your conscience that you may roar out and think yourselves half in hell. You want to live like hell? You're going to feel like hell. And you're going to bring a whole bunch of hellish problems on you. He's going to deal with it. It may not mean you don't go to heaven, but it may mean you live a hell on earth in the meantime. Um, okay, so then he gives us number two. We also pray in a special sense. Oh, excuse me, that, that's actually the end of his study tonight. He's really warning us. Uh, not, but I'm going to bring you something else uh, for a little bit of a good, I think, a helpful close from some other resource here. But that's the last, we did make it through the study. Uh, sins are more heinous when they're by us, Christians. And we've got to remember that. We're held to a higher standard by Jesus Christ. Because of his grace, because of his mercy, because of our experiences with him, because of our being enlightened by him with all these things. Because of the horrible witness it gives to the world when we don't. Because of the horrible thing it does to our children and the way they end up if we don't. Right? There's just so many things. He's like, he's going to deal with it. He's going to deal with it. It's, uh, it's, it's even worse than the world. And we've really got to remember that. When we sin as Christians... It's worse than than the world's sins. I think we think of it opposite. Oh, we have grace and mercy, but it makes our sins actually worse because of that, not better, right? Again, Psalm 19, uh, keep me back from presumptuous sins, right? Okay. I want to give you this uh, partly because it's on topic. Uh, I'm going to forward this to you because it's too long to go over together. Um, read it if you like, but if you don't, it's okay. But it, you'll, you'll understand I want to read it because it's called The Christian's Encounter with Satan. Uh, this is a message from Purely Presbyterian. Uh, they, I get an e-newsletter from them, and uh, they have some good stuff coming out. Uh, Paul J. Bart is the one that put this out back in August. But it's uh, sharing something from an older writing. Lewis Bailey is the writer called The Practice of Piety. And he's sending different things out from this work called The Practice of Piety. Uh, if you're interested to look it up, it's pages 290 to 301 <laughs> from the book Practice of Piety. Lewis Bailey. So again, that's who we're quoting. Uh, 
But the, the source who sent it is Paul Bart. Purely Presbyterian, ultimately, is how we got it. So he says, meditations against despair or doubting of God's mercy. Now, remember, this is interesting. We're not quite done with the study, but why did we start this study of Thomas Watson, the Sixth Petition? Because you remember a while ago, there's several times in sermons I've said, remember, Thomas Watson says that the sin the devil wants to lead you to with all other sins, the worst sin, is despair. Everything else is meant to get you to the sin of despair. Notice it's called the sin of despair. Okay, and ultimately to get you to kill yourself. Okay, so keep that in view. And he's going to say something similarly. Hold on, Isaac. And the the reason I highlight that is we're hearing a lot of it in the context of despair. I'm reading a few highlights to you that I hope will bless you after hearing a kind of a heavy heavy teaching tonight that should make us feel the weightiness of our sins. Um, but keep in mind that the reason I was looking for that quote, I had mentioned it several times, and then I couldn't find where he said it anywhere. And I went looked through Art of Divine Contentment. I looked through, uh, you know, um, the Beatitudes, a lot of things. Couldn't find it. Turns out it's in the book, The Lord's Prayer, towards the end. I had to really hunt for it. Uh, so because I went through it so closely and highlighted, I thought, well, let's go through this study. It's some really good stuff, and I've done the work. So that's why we're here. But keep that in mind. That's what led us to this study, ultimately, to avoid despair. So keep that in mind. Let not the study tonight that should make you hate your sins even more and ask, deliver me from evil, not lead you to despair. Okay, the worst of sins. Yes, Isaac, real quick. Yeah, we've talked about that. Yeah, we've made that connection with the, yeah, the castle despair giant and the giant whose intention is to get us to kill ourselves with despair. Yeah. Okay. That being said, this is the context, and I'll read a little bit of what he says that overlaps. Um, but I mostly am highlighting a few things to you that I hope will be the, a good way to end this study. Okay. Um, He opens it saying this, It is found by continual experience that near the time of death, when the children of God are weakest, then Satan makes the greatest nourish of his strength and assails them with his strongest temptation. So he says it's found by common experience. Often when you're close to death, death, Satan will come at you to really try to bring all your life's sins against you and and, uh, try to get you to be in despair. And he says, when that happens, confess your sins to God. Make restitution where you can. Ask God for Christ's sake, pardon and forgiveness uh, uh, to give you relief. Uh, He says, troubles of mind are no discouragements, but rather comforts, exercises, not punishments. Troubles are to lead us to God to find peace and forgiveness and reassurance. Um, That's not that it is without our grieving and hating our sin, of course, uh, with repentance. Uh, I'm going to try to scroll. Okay, there's a few sections I highlighted that I starred. That's what I'm going to try to keep myself to so I don't go long starting to preach off these things. But I I hope to just let them bless you. Again, it was a heavy study about our sins are worse than the world, right? He says, if Satan shall aggravate to thee the greatness, the multitude, and heinousness of thy sins. Again, some sins are more heinous, right? Especially for Christians, officers, leaders. He says, meditate. 
that upon true repentance, it is as easy with God to forgive the greatest sin as the least. And he is as willing to forgive many as to pardon one. 1 Timothy 1.15, he cites. And his mercy shineth more in pardoning great sinners than small offenders, as appears in the examples of Manessus, Magdalene, Peter, Paul, etc. And where sin most abounded, there doth his grace rejoice to abound much more. Romans 5.20. Hang in there with me. I'm going to scroll ahead to some other places I've starred here. If Satan shall suggest that all this is true of God's mercy, but that it doth not belong to thee, because thy sins are greater than other men's, as being sins of knowledge and of many years' continuance, and such as whereby others have been undone, and all, for the most part, committed willfully and presumptuously against God and thy conscience. And therefore, though he will be merciful unto others, yet he will not be merciful unto thee. He pretty much described what we looked at tonight. If these things are true of you, right? He says, do this. That many who are now in heaven, most blessed and glorious saints committed in the same kind when they lived on earth as great and greater sins than ever thou hast committed and continued before they repented in those sins as long as ever thou hast done. As therefore all their sins and the continuance in them could not hinder God's mercy upon their repentance from forgiving their sins and receiving them into favor, no more shall thy sins and thy continuance in them hinder from being merciful unto thee, if thou dost repent as they did. Yea, upon thy repentance, every one of their examples is a pledge that he will do the same unto thee that he did unto them. 1 Timothy 1.16 For as the least sin in God's justice without repentance is damnable, so the greatest sin upon repentance in his mercy, pardonable. Thy greatest and most inveterate sins are but the sins of a man, But the least of his mercies is the mercy of God. I really want to comment, but I'm going to keep moving here. (laughs) I'm I'm very uh, inspired by these things. Uh, I think it might be the last. I'll double check one more thing he says that I want to share. That if he loved thee so dearly when thou wast his enemy, Romans 5, 8, and 9, that he paid for thee so dear a price as the spilling of his heart blood, How can he now but be gracious unto thee, when to save thee will cost him but the casting of a gracious look upon thee? Christ dying on the cross was necessary to save you. Now all he has to do is look at you graciously. Okay? Oh, I have another one. Hang in there with me. That thy salvation is grounded not upon the constancy of thine obedience, but upon the firmness of God's covenant. Though thou variest with God, and the covenant be broken on thy behalf, yet it is firm on God's part, and therefore all safe enough if thou wilt return. For there is no variableness with him, neither shadow of change. He hath locked up thy salvation, and made it sure in his own unchangeable purpose. James 1.17, Romans 8.28, and 9.11. Okay, yeah, I do have two more things, and then we'll close. It was really good. You know, it was one of those things. Well, I almost want to just quote the whole thing to you. Believe me, I'm 
covering over a lot. So I will forward the email to you guys. Read it if you like. Okay, uh, here's the last things he says. So again, we've heard a heavy thing. Our sins are worse. Our sins are more heinous as Christians and Christian leaders and fathers, mothers. Christians longer, but yet hear this mercy. (laughs) It is not meant to cause us to despair. It is meant to cause us to repent. It is meant to cause us to pray, deliver me from evil. That's what the study is for. Not to leave you dead in it. Right? Okay. So lastly, I want to quote these two things. Cheer up therefore thyself in the all-sufficient atonement of the blood of the Lamb, which speaketh better things than that of Abel. Hebrews 12.24. And pray for those who never yet obtained the grace to have such a sense of detestation of sin. No sin bars a man from salvation, but only incredulity and impenitency. Hebrews 6.6. 6. Nothing makes the sin against the Holy Ghost unpardonable, but want of repentance. Thy unfeigned desire to repent is, ex- is as acceptable to God as most perfect repentance that thou couldst wish to perform unto him. So what he's saying, with all those things being said, do not go into despair. Remember, Thomas Watson also said, that's where the devil wants to lead you with this. So if you were to go out in despair tonight from our study, then you're missing why we're here. We're here to pray. Let's pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And Lord, we do lift up our sister Eleanor Friary once more this evening in the hospital with COVID at her advanced age and its severity of experience. We ask for merciful healing. We ask for powerful deliverance. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.